CD6 Simony trotted through the palace. No one was paying him much attention. Most of the Ephebian guard were outside the labyrinth, and Vorbis had made it clear to anyone who was thinking of venturing inside just what would happen to the palace's inhabitants. Groups of Omnian soldiers were looting in a disciplined sort of a way. Besides, he was returning to his quarters. There was a tortoise in Brother's room. It was sitting on the table between a rolled-up scroll and a gnawed melon rind, and insofar as it was possible to tell with tortoises, was asleep. Simony grabbed it without ceremony, rammed it into his pack, and hurried back towards the library. He hated himself for doing it. The stupid priest had ruined everything. But Didactylos had made him promise, and Didactylos was the man who knew the truth. All the way there he had the impression that someone was trying to attract his attention. "'You could remember them just by looking,' said Ern. "'Yes. The whole scroll? Yes. I don't believe you. "'The word Librum outside this building has a chip in the top of the first letter,' said Brother. Zeno wrote reflections, and old aristocrates wrote platitudes, and Didactylos thinks Ibid's discourses are bloody stupid. There are six hundred paces from the tyrant's throne room to the library. There is a... He's got a good memory. You've got to grant him that, said Didactylos. Show him some more scrolls. How will we know he's remembered them? Ern demanded, unrolling a scroll of geometrical theorems. He can't read, and even if he could, he can't write. We shall have to teach him. Brother looked at a scroll full of maps. He shut his eyes. For a moment the jagged outline glowed against the inside of his eyelids, and then he felt them settle into his mind. They were still there somewhere. He could bring them back at any time. Ern unrolled another scroll. Pictures of animals. This one, drawings of plants and lots of writing. This one, just writing. This one, triangles and things. They settled down in his memory. After a while he wasn't even aware of the scroll unrolling. He just had to keep looking. He wondered how much he could remember, but that was stupid. You just remembered everything you saw, a tabletop or a scroll full of writing. There was as much information in the grain and colouring of the wood as there was in Zeno's reflections. Even so, he was conscious of a certain heaviness of mind, a feeling that if he turned his head sharply, then memory would slosh out of his ears. Ern picked up a scroll at random and unrolled it part way. "'Describe what an ambiguous Puzuma looks like,' he demanded. "'Don't know,' said Brother. He blinked. "'So much for Mr. Memory,' said Ern. "'He can't read, boy. That's not fair,' said the philosopher. "'All right. I mean, the fourth picture in the third scroll you saw,' said Ern. "'A four-legged creature facing left,' said Brother. "'A large head similar to a cat's, and broad shoulders with the body tapering towards the hind quarters. "'The body is a pattern of dark and light squares. "'The ears are very small and laid flat against the head. "'There are six whiskers. The tail is stubby. "'Only the hind feet are clawed, three claws on each foot. "'The four feet are about the same length as the head and held up against the body. "'A band of thick hair—' "'That was fifty scrolls ago,' said Ern. "'He saw the whole scroll for a second or two. "'They looked at Brother. "'Brother blinked again. "'You know everything?' said Ern. "'I don't know. "'You've got half the library in your head.' "'I feel a bit...' "'The library of a Phoebe was a furnace. "'The flames burned blue where the melted copper roof dripped into the shelves.' All libraries everywhere are connected by the bookworm holes in space created by the strong space-time distortions found around any large collection of books. Only a very few librarians learn the secret, and there are inflexible rules about making use of the fact, because it amounts to time travel, and time travel causes big problems. But if a library is on fire, and down in the history books as having been on fire, there was a small pop utterly unheard among the crackling of the bookshelves, and a figure dropped out of nowhere onto a small patch of unburned floor in the middle of the library. It looked ape-like, but it moved in a very purposeful way. Long simian arms beat out the flames, pulled scrolls off the shelves, and stuffed them into a sack. When the sack was full, it knuckled back into the middle of the room and vanished with another pop. This has nothing to do with the story. 
nor does the fact that sometime later scrolls thought to have been destroyed in the great Ephebian library fire turned up in remarkably good condition in the library of the Unseen University in Ankh-Morpork. But it's nice to know, even so. Brother awoke with the smell of the sea in his nostrils. At least it was what people think of as the smell of the sea, which is the stink of antique fish and rotten seaweed. He was in some sort of shed. Such light as managed to come through its one unglazed window was red and flickered. One end of the shed was open to the water. The ruddy light showed a few figures clustered around something there. Brother gently probed the contents of his memory. Everything seemed to be there, the library scrolls neatly arranged. The words were as meaningless to him as any other written word, but the pictures were interesting. More interesting than most things in his memory, anyway. He sat up carefully. "'You're awake, then,' said the voice of Om in his head. "'Feel a bit full, do we? Feel a bit like a stack of shelves? Feel like we've got big notices saying silencios all over the place inside our head? What did you go and do that for?' "'Ah, uh, I don't know.' It seemed like the next thing to do. Where are you? Your soldier friend has got me in his pack. Thanks for looking after me so carefully, by the way. Brother managed to get to his feet. The world revolved round him for a moment, adding a third astronomical theory to the two currently occupying the minds of local thinkers. He peered out of the window. The red light was coming from fires all over Ephebe, but there was one huge glow over the library. "'Guerrilla activity,' said Om. "'Even the slaves are fighting. "'Can't understand why you'd think they'd jump at the chance "'to be revenged on their masters, eh?' "'I suppose a slave in Ephebe has the chance to be free,' said Brother. "'There was a hiss from the other end of the shed "'and a metallic whirring noise. "'Brother heard Urn say, "'There, I told you, just a block in the tubes. "'Let's get some more fuel in.' "'Brother tottered towards the group.' They were clustered round a boat. As boats went, it was of normal shape, a pointed end in front, a flat end at the back. But there was no mast. What there was was a large, copper-coloured ball hanging in a wooden framework towards the back of the boat. There was an iron basket underneath it in which someone had already got a good fire going, and the ball was spinning in its frame in a cloud of steam. "'I've seen that,' he said. In De Chelonian Mobile, there was a drawing. Oh, it's the walking library, said Didactylos. Yes, you're right, illustrating the principle of reaction. I never asked Ern to build a big one. This is what comes of thinking with your hands. I took it round the lighthouse one night last week, said Ern. No problems at all. Ankh Morpork is a lot further than that, said Simony. "'Yes, it is five times further than the distance between Ephebe and Omnia,' said Brother solemnly. "'There was a scrawl of maps,' he added. "'Steam rose in scalding clouds from the whirring ball. "'Now he was closer, Brother could see that half a dozen very short oars "'had been joined together in a star-shaped pattern behind the copper globe "'and hung over the rear of the boat. "'Wooden cogwheels and a couple of endless belts filled the intervening space.' As the globe spun, the paddles thrashed at the air. "'How does it work?' he said. "'Very simple,' said Ern. "'The fire makes—' "'We haven't got time for this,' said Simony. "'Makes the water hot, and so it gets angry,' said the apprentice philosopher. "'So it rushes out of the globe through these four little nozzles to get away from the fire. "'The plumes of steam push the globe around, and the cogwheels and Legibus's screw mechanism "'transfer the motion to the paddles, which turn, pushing the boat through the water.' "'Very philosophical,' said Didactylos. "'Brother felt that he ought to stand up for Omnian progress.' The great doors of the citadel weigh tons, but are opened solely by the power of faith, he said. One push, and they swing open. I should very much like to see that, said Ern. Brother felt a faint, sinful twinge of pride that Omnia still had anything he could be proud of. Very good balance and some hydraulics, probably. Oh. Simony thoughtfully prodded the mechanism with his sword. "'Have you thought of all the possibilities?' he said. Ern's hands began to weave through the air. "'You mean mighty ships ploughing the wine-dark sea with no—' he began. 
"'On land, I was thinking,' said Simony. "'Perhaps on some sort of cart. "'Oh, no point putting a boat on a cart.' Simon's eyes gleamed with the gleam of a man who had seen the future and found it covered with armour-plating. "'Hmm,' he said. "'It's all very well, but it's not philosophy,' said Didactylos. "'Where's the priest?' "'I'm here, but I'm not a—' "'How are you feeling? You went out like a candle back there.' "'I'm better now. One minute upright, next minute a draught excluder. "'I'm much better. Happen a lot, does it? Sometimes.' "'Remembering the scrolls, okay?' "'I think so. Who set fire to the library?' "'Ern looked up from the mechanism. "'He did,' he said. "'Brother stared at Didactylos. "'You set fire to your own library?' "'I'm the only one qualified,' said the philosopher. "'Besides, it keeps it out of the way of Vorbis.' "'What? Suppose he'd read the scrolls. "'He's bad enough as it is.' "'He'd be a lot worse with all that knowledge inside him.' "'He wouldn't have read them,' said Brother. "'Oh, he would. I know that type,' said Didactylos. "'All holy piety in public, and all peeled grapes and self-indulgence in private.' "'Not Vorbis,' said Brother, with absolute certainty. "'He wouldn't have read them.' "'Well, anyway,' said Didactylos, "'if it had to be done, I did it.' Ern turned away from the bow of the boat, where he was feeding more wood into the brazier under the globe. "'Can we all get on board?' he said. Brother eased his way on a rough bench seat amidships, or whatever it was called. The air smelled of hot water. "'Right,' said Ern. He pulled a lever. The spinning paddles hit the water. There was a jerk, and then, steam hanging in the air behind it, the boat moved forward. "'What's the name of this vessel?' said Didactylos. Ern looked surprised. "'Name?' he said. "'It's a boat. A thing. Of the nature of things. It doesn't need a name.' "'Names are more philosophical,' said Didactylos, with a trace of sulkiness. "'And you should have broken an amphora of wine over it. That would have been a waste.' The boat chugged out of the boathouse and into the dark harbour. Away to one side, an Ephebian galley was on fire. The whole of the city was a patchwork of flame. "'But you've got an amphora on board,' said Didactylos. Yes. Pass it over, then. White water trailed behind the boat. The paddles churned. No wind, no rowers, said Simony. Do you even begin to understand what you have here, Ern? Absolutely. The operating principles are amazingly simple, said Ern. That wasn't what I meant. I meant the things you could do with this power. Ern pushed another log on the fire. It's just the transforming of heat into work, he said. I suppose... Oh, the pumping of water, bills that can grind even when the wind isn't blowing, that sort of thing. Is that what you had in mind? Simony the soldier hesitated. Yeah, he said, something like that. Brother whispered, Um? Yes. Are you all right? It smells like a soldier's knapsack in here. Get me out. The copper ball spun madly over the fire. It gleamed almost as brightly as Simon's eyes. Brother tapped him on the shoulder. "'Can I have my tortoise?' Simon laughed bitterly. "'There's good eating on one of these things,' he said, fishing out on. "'Everyone says so,' said Brother. He lowered his voice to a whisper. "'What sort of place is Ankh?' "'A city of a million souls,' said the voice of Om. "'Many of them occupying bodies.' and a thousand religions. There's even a temple to the small gods. Sounds like a place where people don't have trouble believing things. Not a bad place for a fresh start, I think. With my brains and your... With my brains, we should be in business again. You don't want to go back to Omnia? No point, said the voice of Om. It's always possible to overthrow an established god. People get fed up. They want a change. But you can't overthrow yourself, can you? Who are you talking to, priest? said Simony. I, uh, uh, was praying. Heh, <laughs> to Om, you might as well pray to that tortoise. Yeah. I am ashamed for Omnia, said Simony. Look at us. Stuck in the past, held back by repressive monotheism, shunned by our neighbours. What good has our God been to us? Gods, her. 
"'Steady on, steady on,' said Didactylos. "'We're on seawater, and that's highly conductive armour you're wearing.' "'Oh, I say nothing about other gods,' said Simon quickly. "'I have not the right, but Om, a bogeyman for the Quisition. "'If he exists, let him strike me down here and now.' Simon E. drew his sword and held it up at arm's length. Om sat peacefully on Brother's lap. "'I like this boy,' he said. "'He's almost as good as a believer. "'It's like love and hate. "'Know what I mean?' Simon E. sheathed his sword again. "'Thus I refute Om,' he said. "'Yes, but what's the alternative?' "'Philosophy. "'Practical philosophy. "'Like Urn's engine there, "'it could drag Omnia kicking and screaming "'into the century of the fruit bat.' "'Kicking and screaming?' said Brother. "'By any means necessary,' said Simony. He beamed at them. "'Don't worry about him,' said Om. "'We'll be far away. Just as well, too. I don't think Omnia's going to be a very popular country when news of last night's work gets about.' "'But it was Vorbis's fault,' said Brother out loud. "'He started the old thing. He sent poor Brother Murdoch. "'and then he had him killed so he could blame it on the Ephebians. "'He never intended any peace treaty. "'He just wanted to get into the palace.' "'Beats me how he managed that too,' said Ern. "'No one ever got through the labyrinth without a guide. "'How did he do it?' "'Didactylos's blind eyes sought out Brother. "'Can't imagine,' he said. "'Brother hung his head. "'He really did all that?' said Simony. "'Yes.' "'You idiot! You total sandhead!' screamed Om. "'And you tell this to other people?' said Simony, insistently. "'I suppose so. You'd speak out against the Quisition?' Brother stared miserably into the night. Behind them the flames of Ephebe had merged into one orange spark. "'All I can say is what I remember,' he said. "'We're dead!' said Om. Throw me over the side, why don't you? This bonehead will want to take us back to Omnia. Simony rubbed his chin thoughtfully. Vorbis has many enemies, he said, in certain circumstances. Better he should be killed, but some would call that murder, or even martyrdom, but a trial, if there was evidence, if they even thought there could be evidence. I can see his mind working. Om screamed. We'd all be safe if you'd shut up. Forbis on trial, Simony mused. Brother blanched at the thought. It was the kind of thought that was almost impossible to hold in the mind. It was the kind of thought that made no sense. Vorbis on trial. Trials were things that happened to other people. He remembered Brother Murdoch and the soldiers who had been lost in the desert and all the things that had been done to people, even to Brother. "'Tell him you can't remember,' Om yelled. "'Tell him you can't recall.' "'And if he was on trial,' said Simony, "'he'd be found guilty. "'No one would dare do anything else.' Thoughts always moved slowly through Brother's mind, like icebergs. They arrived slowly and left slowly, and when they were there they occupied a lot of space, much of it below the surface. He thought, "'The worst thing about Vorbis isn't that he's evil,' but that he makes good people do evil. He turns people into things like himself. You can't help it. You catch it off him. There was no sound but the slosh of water against the unnamed boat's hull and the spinning of the philosophical engine. "'We'd be caught if we returned to Omnia,' said Brother slowly. "'We can land away from the ports,' said Simony eagerly. "'Ark more pork!' shouted Om. First, we should take Mr. Didactylos to Ankh-Morpork, said Brother. Then I'll come back to Omnia. You can damn well leave me there too, said Om. I'll soon find some believers in Ankh-Morpork, don't you worry. They believe anything there. Never seen Ankh-Morpork, said Didactylos. Still, we live and learn. That's what I always say. He turned to face the soldier. Kicking and screaming. "'There's some exiles in Ankh,' said Simony. "'Don't worry. You'll be safe there.' "'Amazing,' said Didactylos. "'And to think this morning I didn't even know I was in danger.' He sat back in the boat. 
"'Life in this world,' he said, "'is, as it were, a sojourn in a cave. "'What can we know of reality? "'For all we see of the true nature of existence is, "'shall we say, no more than bewildering and amusing shadows "'cast upon the inner wall of the cave "'by the unseen blinding light of absolute truth, "'from which we may or may not deduce some glimmer of veracity.' And we, as troglodyte seekers of wisdom, can only lift our voices to the unseen and say humbly, Go on, do deformed rabbit, it's my favourite. Vorbis stirred the ashes with his foot. No bones, he said. The soldiers stood silently. The fluffy grey flakes collapsed and blew a little way in the dawn breeze. And the wrong sort... "'Of ash,' said Vorbis. "'The sergeant opened his mouth to say something. "'Be assured I know that of which I speak,' said Vorbis. "'He wandered over to the charred trap-door and prodded it with his toe. "'We followed the tunnel,' said the sergeant, "'in the tones of one who hopes against experience "'that sounding helpful will avert the wrath to come. "'It comes out near the docks. "'But if you enter it from the docks, it does not come out here,' Vorbis mused. The smoking ashes seemed to hold an endless fascination for him. The sergeant's brow wrinkled. "'Understand,' said Vorbis. "'The Ephebians wouldn't build a way out that was a way in. "'The minds that devised the labyrinth would not work like that. "'There would be... valves. "'Sequences of trigger-stones, perhaps. "'Trips that trip only one way. "'Wearing blades that come out of unexpected walls.' Oh. "'Most intricate and devious, I have no doubt.' "'The sergeant ran a dry tongue over his lips. "'He could not read Vorbis like a book "'because there had never been a book like Vorbis. "'But Vorbis had certain habits of thought "'that you learned after a while. "'You wish me to take the squad "'and follow it up from the docks?' "'He said hollowly. "'I was just about to suggest it,' said Vorbis. "'Yes, Lord.' "'Vorbis patted the sergeant on the shoulder.' "'But do not worry,' he said cheerfully. "'Om will protect the strong in faith.' "'Yes, Lord.' "'And the last man can bring me a full report. "'But first, they are not in the city?' "'We have searched it fully, Lord.' "'And no one left by the gate?' "'Then they left by sea. "'All the Ephebian war vessels are accounted for, Lord Vorbis.' "'This bay is lousy with small boats.' "'With nowhere to go but the open sea, sir.' Vorbis looked out at the circle sea. It filled the world from horizon to horizon. Beyond lay the smudge of the stove plains and the ragged line of the ram-tops, all the way to the towering peaks that the heretics called the Hub, but which was, he knew, the Pole, visible around the curve of the world only because of the way light bent in atmosphere, just as it did in water. And he saw a smudge of white, "'curling over the distant ocean. "'Vorbis had very good eyesight from a height. "'He picked up a handful of grey ash "'which had once been Dykeri's principles of navigation "'and let it drift through his fingers. "'Om has sent us a fair wind,' he said. "'Let us go down to the docks.' "'Hope waved optimistically in the waters of the sergeant's despair. "'You won't be wanting us to explore the tunnel, Lord?' he said. Oh, no, you can do that when we return. Urn prodded at the copper globe with a piece of wire while the unnamed boat wallowed in the waves. Can't you beat it, said Simony, who was not up to speed on the difference between machines and people. It's a philosophical engine, said Urn. Beating won't help. But you said machines could be our slaves, said Simony. "'Not the beating sort,' said Urn. "'The nozzles are bunged up with salt. "'When the water rushes out of the globe, "'it leaves the salt behind.' "'Why?' "'I don't know. "'Water likes to travel light.' "'We're becalmed. "'Can you do anything about it?' "'Yes, wait for it to cool down, "'and then clean it out and put some more water in it.' "'Simony looked around distractedly. "'But we're still in sight of the coast.' "'You might be,' said Didactylos. "'He was sitting in the middle of the boat "'with his hands crossed on the top of his walking-stick, "'looking like an old man who doesn't often get taken out for an airing "'and is quite enjoying it. "'Don't worry,' 
"'No one could see us out here,' said Ern. "'He prodded at the mechanism. "'Anyway, I'm a bit worried about the screw. "'It was invented to move water along, not move along water.' "'You mean it's confused?' said Simony. "'Screwed up?' said Didactylos, happily. "'Brother lay in the pointed end, looking down at the water. "'A small squid siphoned past, just under the surface. "'He wondered what it was, "'and knew it was the common bottle squid of the class Cephalopoda, Phylum Mollusca, "'and that it had an internal cartilaginous support instead of a skeleton, "'and a well-developed nervous system and large image-forming eyes "'that were quite similar to vertebrate eyes.' The knowledge hung in the forefront of his mind for a moment and then faded away. "'Om?' Brother whispered. "'What?' "'What are you doing?' "'Trying to get some sleep. Tortoises need a lot of sleep, you know.' Simony and Ern were bent over the philosophical engine. Brother stared at the globe, a sphere of radius R, which therefore had a volume V equals 4 over 3 pi, triple R, and surface area A equals 4 pi, triple R dash. "'Oh, my God!' "'What now?' said the voice of the tortoise. Didactylos's face turned towards Brother, who was clutching at his head. "'What's a pie?' Didactylos reached out a hand and steadied Brother. "'What's the matter?' said Om. "'I don't know. It's just words. I don't know what's in the books. I can't read.' "'Getting plenty of sleep is vital,' said Om. "'It builds a healthy shell.' Brother sagged to his knees in the rocking boat. He felt like a householder coming back unexpectedly and finding the old place full of strangers. They were in every room, not menacing, but just filling the space with their thereness. The books are leaking. I don't see how that can happen, said Didactylos. You said you just looked at them. You didn't read them. You don't know what they mean. They know what they mean. Listen, they're just books. "'Of the nature of books,' said Didactylos. "'They're not magical. "'If you could know what books contained just by looking at them, "'Urn there would be a genius.' "'What's the matter with him?' said Simony. "'He thinks he knows too much.' "'No, I don't know anything. "'Not really, no,' said Brother. "'I just remembered that squids have an internal cartilaginous support.' "'I can see that would be a worry,' said Simony. "'Hm, priests!' "'Mad, the lot of them. "'No, I don't know what cartilaginous means.' "'Skeletal connective tissue,' said Didactylos. "'Think of bony and leathery at the same time.' "'Simony snorted. "'Well, well,' he said, "'we live and learn, just like you said.' "'Some of us even do it the other way round,' said Didactylos. "'Is that supposed to mean something?' "'It's philosophy.' said Didactylos. And sit down, boy. You're making the boat rock. We're overloaded as it is. It's being buoyed upward by a force equal to the weight of the displaced fluid, muttered Brother, sagging. Hmm? Except that I don't know what buoyed means. Urn looked up from the sphere. We're ready to start again, he said. Just bail some water in here with your helmet, mister. "'And then we shall go again.' "'Well, we could start getting up steam,' said Urn. "'He wiped his hands on his toga. "'You know,' said Didactylos, "'there are different ways of learning things. "'I'm reminded of the time when old Prince Lasgir of Tussort "'asked me how he could become learned, "'especially since he hadn't got any time for this reading business. "'I said to him, "'There is no royal road to learning, sire.' "'And he said to me, "'Bloody well build one, or I shall have your legs chopped off. "'Use as many slaves as you like. "'A refreshingly direct approach, I always thought. "'Not a man to mince words. "'People, yes, but not words.' "'Why didn't he chop your legs off?' said Urn. "'I built him his road, more or less. "'How? I thought that was just a metaphor.' Hey, you're learning, Ern. So I found a dozen slaves who could read, and they sat in his bedroom at night whispering choice passages to him while he slept. Did that work? Don't know. The third slave stuck a six-inch dagger in his ear. 
Then, after the revolution, the new ruler let me out of prison and said I could leave the country if I promised not to think of anything on the way to the border. But I don't believe there was anything wrong with the idea in principle. Urn blew on the fire. Takes a little while to heat up the water, he explained. Brother lay back in the bow again. If he concentrated, he could stop the knowledge flowing. The thing to do was avoid looking at things. Even a cloud, devised by natural philosophy as a means of occasioning shade on the surface of the world, thus preventing overheating, caused an intrusion. Om was fast asleep. Knowing without learning, thought Brother. No, the other way round. Learning without knowing. Nine-tenths of Om dozed in his shell. The rest of him drifted like a fog in the real world of the gods, which is a lot less interesting than the three-dimensional world inhabited by most of humanity. He thought, We're a little boat. She'll probably not even notice us. There's the whole of the ocean. She can't be everywhere. Of course she's got many believers, but we're only a little boat. He felt the minds of inquisitive fishes nosing around the end of the screw which was odd, because in the normal course of things fishes were not known for their... "'Greetings,' said the Queen of the Sea. "'Ah, I see you're still managing to exist, little tortoise.' "'Hang in in there,' said Om. "'No problems.' There was a pause which, if it were taking place between two people in the human world, would have been spent in coughing and looking embarrassed. But gods are never embarrassed.' "'I expect,' said Om guardedly, "'you are looking for your price. "'This vessel and everyone in it,' said the Queen. "'But your believer can be saved, as is the custom.' "'What good are they to you? "'One of them's an atheist.' Huh. "'They all believe right at the end.' "'That doesn't seem,' Om hesitated, Fair? Now the Sea Queen paused. What's fair? Like, um, underlying justice? said Om. He wondered why he said it. Sounds a human idea to me. They're inventive, I'll grant you, but what I meant was, I mean, they've done nothing to deserve it. Deserve? They're human. What's deserve got to do with it? Om had to concede this. He wasn't thinking like a god. This bothered him. It's just... You've been relying on one human for too long, little god. I know, I know, Om sighed. Minds leaked into one another. He was seeing too much from a human point of view. Take the boat, then, if you must. I just wish it was... Fair, said the Sea Queen. She moved forward. Om felt her all around him. There's no such thing, she said. Life's like a beach, and then you die. Then she was gone. Om let himself retreat into the shell of his shell. Brother? Yes? Can you swim? The globe started to spin. Brother heard Urn say... There, soon be on our way. We'd better be. This was simony. There's a ship out there. This thing goes faster than anything with sails or oars. Brother looked across the bay. A sleek, omnian ship was passing the lighthouse. It was still a long way off, but Brother stared at it with a dread and expectation that magnified better than telescopes. It's moving fast, said simony. I don't understand it. There's no wind. Urn looked around at the flat calm. "'There can't be wind there and not here,' he said. "'I said, can you swim?' The voice of the tortoise was insistent in Brother's head. "'I don't know,' said Brother. "'Do you think you could find out quickly?' Urn looked upwards. "'Oh,' he said. Clouds had massed over the unnamed boat. They were visibly spinning. "'You've got to know,' shouted Om. "'I thought you had perfect memory.' "'We used to splash around in the big cistern in the village,' whispered Brother. "'I don't know if that counts.' Mist whipped off the surface of the sea. Brother's ears popped, and still the Omnian ship came on, flying across the waves. 
What do you call it when you've got a dead calm surrounded by winds? Urn began. Hurricane, said Didactylos. Lightning crackled between sky and sea. Urn yanked at the lever that lowered the screw into the water. His eyes glowed almost as brightly as the lightning. Now there's a power, he said, harnessing the lightning, the dream of mankind. The unnamed boat surged forward. Is it? It's not my dream, said Didactylos. I always dream of a giant carrot chasing me through a field of lobsters. I mean metaphorical dream, master, said Urn. What's a metaphor, said Simony. Brother said, what's a dream? A pillar of lightning laced the mist. Secondary lightning sparked off the spinning globe. You could get it from cats, said Urn, lost in a philosophical world as the boat left a white wake behind it. You stroke them with a rod of amber and you get tiny lightnings. If I could magnify that a million times, no man would ever be a slave again and we could catch it in jars and do away with the night. Lightning struck a few yards away. We're in a boat with a large copper ball in the middle of a body of salt water, said Didactylos. Thanks, Urn. And the temples of the gods would be magnificently lit, of course, said Urn quickly. Didactylos tapped his stick on the hull. It's a nice idea, but you'd never get enough cats, he said. The sea surged up. Jump into the water, Om shouted. Why, said Brother. A wave almost overturned the boat. Rain hissed on the surface of the sphere, sent up a scalding spray. I haven't got time to explain. Jump overboard, it's for the best. Trust me. Brother stood up, holding the sphere's framework to steady himself. "'Sit down,' said Urn. "'I'm just going out,' said Brother. "'I may be some time.' The boat rocked under him as he half-jumped, half-fell into the boiling sea. Lightning struck the sphere. As Brother bobbed to the surface, he saw for a moment the globe glowing white-hot and the unnamed boat, its screw almost out of the water, skimming away through the mists like a comet. It vanished in the clouds and rain. A moment later, above the noise of the storm, there was a muffled boom.' Brother raised his hand. Om broke the surface, blowing seawater out of his nostrils. "'You said it would be for the best!' screamed Brother. "'Well, we're still alive, and hold me out of the water. Tortoises can't swim. But they might be dead. Do you want to join them?' A wave submerged Brother. For a moment the world was a dark green curtain ringing in his ears. "'I can't swim with one hand!' he shouted as he broke surface again. "'We'll be saved. She wouldn't dare. "'What do you mean?' "'Another wave slapped at Brother, and suction dragged at his robes. "'Om?' "'Yes. I don't think I can swim.' "'Gods are not very introspective. It has never been a survival trait. "'The ability to cajole, threaten, and terrify has always worked well enough.' When you can flatten entire cities at a whim, a tendency towards quiet reflection and seeing things from the other fellow's point of view is seldom necessary. Which had led, across the multiverse, to men and women of tremendous brilliance and empathy, devoting their entire lives to the service of deities who couldn't beat them at a quiet game of dominoes. For example, Sister Sestina of Quirm defied the wrath of a local king and walked unharmed across a bed of coals and propounded a philosophy of sensible ethics on behalf of a goddess whose only real interest was in hairstyles. And Brother Zephylite of Clatch left his vast estates and his family and spent his life ministering to the sick and poor on behalf of the invisible god Furum, generally considered unable, should he have a backside, to find it with both hands. Should he have hands? Gods never need to be very bright when there are humans around to be it for them. The Sea Queen was considered fairly dumb, even by other gods. But there was a certain logic to her thoughts as she moved deep below the storm-tossed waves. The little boat had been a tempting target. But here was a bigger one, full of people, sailing right into the storm. This one was fair game. The Sea Queen had the attention span of an onion bargee and by and large she created her own sacrifices, and she believed in quantity. The fin of God plunged from wave-crest to wave-trough, the gale tearing at its sails. 
The captain fought his way through the waist-high water to the prow, where Vorbis stood clutching the rail, apparently oblivious to the fact that the ship was wallowing half-submerged. "'Sir, we must reef sail. We can't outrun this!' Green fire crackled on the tops of the masts. Vorbis turned. The light was reflected in the pit of his eyes. "'It is all for the glory of Om,' he said. "'Trust is our sail, and glory is our destination.' The captain had had enough. He was unsteady on the subject of religion, but felt fairly confident that after thirty years he knew something about the sea. "'The ocean floor is our destination,' he shouted. Vorbis shrugged. "'I did not say there would not be stops along the way,' he said. The captain stared at him and then fought his way back across the heaving deck. What he knew about the sea was that storms like this didn't just happen. You didn't just sail from calm water in the midst of a raging hurricane. This wasn't the sea, this was personal.' Lightning struck the mainmast. There was a scream from the darkness as a mass of torn sail and rigging crashed onto the deck. The captain half swam, half climbed up the ladder to the wheel, where the helmsman was a shadow in the spray and the eerie storm glow. "'We'll never make it alive!' "'Correct. "'We'll have to abandon ship!' "'No, we will take it with us. "'It's a nice ship.' The captain peered closer in the murk. Is that you, Boatswain Copley? Would you like another guess? The hull hit a submerged rock and ripped open. Lightning struck the remaining mast, and like a paper boat that had been too long in the water, the fin of God folded up. Balks of timber splintered and fountained up into the whirling sky, and there was a sudden velvety silence. The captain found that he had acquired a recent memory— it involved water and a ringing in his ears and the sensation of cold fire in his lungs, but it was fading. He walked over to the rail, his footsteps loud in the quietness, and looked over the side. Despite the fact that the recent memory included something about the ship being totally smashed, it now seemed to be whole again, in a way. Er, uh, he said, we appear to have run out of sea. Yes. "'And land, too!' The captain tapped the rail. It was greyish and slightly transparent. "'Er, uh, is this wood?' "'Morphic memory!' "'Sorry? You were a sailor. You have heard a ship referred to as a living thing?' "'Oh, yes, you can't spend a night on a ship without feeling that it has a soul.' "'Yes!' The memory of Finn of God sailed on through the silence. There was the distant sighing of wind or of the memory of wind, the blown-out corpses of dead gales. Uh, said the ghost of the captain. "'Did you just say were?' "'Yes.' "'Ah, oh, I thought you did.' The captain stared down. The crew was assembling on deck, looking up at him with anxious eyes. He looked down further. In front of the crew the ship's rats had assembled. There was a tiny robed shape in front of them. It said, "'Squeak!' He thought, even rats have a death. Death stood aside and beckoned to the captain. You have the wheel. But, but where are we going? Who knows? The captain gripped the spokes helplessly. But there's no stars that I recognise. No charts. What are the winds here? Where are the currents? Death shrugged. The captain turned the wheel aimlessly. The ship glided on through the ghost of a sea. Then he brightened up. The worst had already happened. It was amazing how good it felt to know that. And if the worst had already happened... "'Where's Vorbis?' he growled. "'He survived.' "'Did he? There's no justice.' "'There's just me.' Death vanished. The captain turned the wheel a bit for the look of the thing. After all, he was still captain, and this was still, in a way, his ship. "'Mr. Mate?' The mate saluted. Sir! Um, where shall we go now? The mate scratched his head. Well, Captain, I did hear, as the heathen clatch have got this paradise place where there's drinking and singing and young women with bells on and, and you know, uh, regardless. The mate looked hopefully at his captain. Regardless, eh? said the captain thoughtfully. So I did hear. The captain felt that he might be due some regardless. "'Any idea how you get there?' "'I think you get given instructions when you're alive,' said the mate. "'Oh, 
"'and there's some barbarians up towards the hub,' said the mate, relishing the word, "'who reckon they go to a big hall where there's all sorts to eat and drink. "'And, and women? Bound to be.' The captain frowned. "'It's a funny thing,' he said. "'But why is it that the heathens and the barbarians "'seem to have the best places to go when they die?' Eh, bit of a poser, that,' agreed the mate. "'I suppose it makes up for em enjoying themselves all the time when they're alive, too.' He looked puzzled. Now that he was dead, the whole thing sounded suspicious. "'I suppose you've no idea of the way to that paradise, either,' said the captain. "'Sorry, captain.' "'Oh, no harm in searching, though.' The captain looked over the side. "'If you sailed for long enough, you were bound to strike ashore, "'and no harm in searching.' A movement caught his eye. He smiled. "'Good, a sign. Maybe it was all for the best, after all.' Accompanied by the ghosts of dolphins, the ghost of a ship sailed on. Seagulls never ventured this far along the desert coast. Their niche was filled by the scalby, a member of the Crow family, that the Crow family would be the first to disown and never talked about in company. It seldom flew, but walked everywhere in a sort of lurching hop. Its distinctive call put listeners in mind of a malfunctioning digestive system. It looked like other birds, but looked after an oil slick. Nothing ate scalbies, except other scalbies. Scalbies ate things that made a vulture sick. Scalbies would eat vulture sick. Scalbies ate everything. One of them, on this bright new morning, sidled across the flea-hopping sand, pecking aimlessly at things in case pebbles and bits of wood had become edible overnight. In the Scalbies' experience, practically anything became edible if it was left for long enough. It came across a mound lying on the tide line and gave it a tentative jab with its beak. The mound groaned. The Scalby backed away hurriedly and turned its attention to a small domed rock beside the mound. It was pretty certain this hadn't been there yesterday either. It essayed an exploratory peck. The rock extruded a head and said, Bugger off, you evil sod. The scalby leaped backwards and then made a kind of running jump, which was the nearest any scalby ever bothered to come to actual flight, onto a pile of sun-bleached driftwood. Things were looking up. If this rock was alive, then eventually it would be dead. The great god Om staggered over to Brother and butted him in the head with its shell until he groaned. "'Wake up, lad. Rise and shine. Hap, hap, hap. All ashore who's going ashore?' Brother opened an eye. "'What happened?' he said. "'You're alive is what happened,' said Om. "'Life's a beach,' he remembered, and then you die. Brother pulled himself into a kneeling position. There are beaches that cry out for brightly coloured umbrellas, there are beaches that speak of the majesty of the sea, but this beach wasn't like that. It was merely a barren hem where the land met the ocean. Driftwood piled up on the high tide line, scoured by the wind. The air buzzed with unpleasant small insects. There was a smell that suggested that something had rotted away a long time ago, somewhere where the scalbies couldn't find it. It was not a good beach. Oh, God! "'Better than drowning,' said Om encouragingly. "'I wouldn't know.' Brother looked along the beach. "'Is there any water to drink?' "'Shouldn't think so,' said Om. "'Ossery 5, verse 3, says that you made living water flow from the dry desert,' said Brother. "'That was by way of being artistic license,' said Om. "'You can't even do that?' "'No.' Brother looked at the desert again. Behind the driftwood lines and a few patches of grass that appeared to be dying even while it grew, the dunes marched away. "'Which way to Omnia?' he said. "'We don't want to go to Omnia,' said Om. Brother stared at the tortoise. Then he picked him up. "'I think it's this way,' he said. Om's legs waggled frantically. "'What do you want to go to Omnia for?' he said. "'I don't want to,' said Brother. "'But I'm going anyway.' The sun hung high above the beach, or possibly it didn't. Brother knew things about the sun now. They were leaking into his head. The Ephebians had been very interested in astronomy. Explicius had proved that the disk was 10,000 miles across. Febrius, who'd stationed slaves with quick reactions and carrying voices all across the country at dawn, had proved that light travelled at about the same speed as sound, 
and Didactylos had reasoned that, in that case, in order to pass between the elephants, the sun had to travel at least 35,000 miles in its orbit every day, or, to put it another way, twice as fast as its own light, which meant that mostly you could only ever see where the sun had been, except twice every day when it caught up with itself, and this meant that the whole sun was a faster-than-light particle, a tachyon, or, as Didactylos put it, a bugger. It was still hot, the lifeless sea seemed to steam. Brother trudged along, directly above the only piece of shadow for hundreds of miles. Even Om had stopped complaining, it was too hot. Here and there, fragments of wood rolled in the scum at the edge of the sea. Ahead of Brother, the air shimmered over the sand. In the middle of it was a dark blob. He regarded it dispassionately as he approached, incapable of any real thought. It was nothing more than a reference point in a world of orange heat, expanding and contracting in the vibrating haze. Closer to, it turned out to be Vorbis. The thought took a long time to seep through Brother's mind. Vorbis, not with a robe, all torn off, just his singlet with. The nails sewn in, blood all, over one leg, torn by rocks, Vorbis. Vorbis. Brother slumped to his knees. On the high tide line, a scalby gave a croak. He's still alive, Brother managed. Pity, said Om. We should do something for him. Yes, maybe you can find a rock and stove his head in, said Om. We can't just leave him here. Watch us. No. Brother got his hand under the deacon and tried to lift him. To his dull surprise, Vorbis weighed almost nothing. The deacon's robe had concealed a body that was just skin stretched over bone. Brother could have broken him with bare hands. "'What about me?' whined Om. Brother slung Vorbis over his shoulder. "'You've got four legs,' he said. "'I am your god!' "'Yes, I know,' Brother trudged on along the beach. "'What are you going to do with him?' "'Take him to Omnia!' said Brother thickly. People must know what he did. You're mad. You're mad. You think you're going to carry him to Omnia? Don't know. Gonna try. You... you... Om pounded a claw on the sand. Millions of people in the world, and it had to be you. Stupid. Stupid. Brother was becoming a wavering shape in the haze. That's... "'It!' shouted Om. "'I don't need you. "'You think I need you? "'I don't need you. "'I can soon find another believer. "'No problem about that.' "'Brother disappeared. "'And I'm not chasing after you!' Om screamed. "'Brother watched his feet dragging one in front of the other. "'He was past the point of thinking now.' What drifted through his frying brain were disjointed images and fragments of memory, dreams. They were pictures in your head. Coaxes had written a whole scroll about them. The superstitious thought they were messages sent by God, but really they were created by the brain itself, thrown up as it nightly sorted and filed the experiences of the day. Brother never dreamed, so sometimes, blackout while the mind did the filing, it filed all the books. Now he knew without learning... That was dreams. God. God needed people. Belief was the food of the gods. But they also needed a shape. Gods became what people believed they ought to be. So the goddess of wisdom carried a penguin. It could have happened to any god. It should have been an owl. Everyone knew that. But one bad sculptor who had only ever had an owl described to him makes a mess of a statue. Belief steps in. Next thing you know, the goddess of wisdom is lumbered with a bird that wears evening dress the whole time and smells of fish. You gave a god its shape, like a jelly fills a mould. Gods often became your father, said Abraxas, the agnostic. Gods became a big beard in the sky, because when you were three years old, that was your father. Of course, Abraxas survived. This thought arrived sharp and cold out of the part of his own mind that Brother could still call his own. Gods didn't mind atheists, if they were deep, hot, fiery atheists like simony, who spend their whole life not believing, spend their whole life hating gods for not existing. That sort of atheism was a rock. It was nearly belief. 
sand. It was what you found in deserts, crystals of rock sculpted into dunes. Gordo of Tassort said that sand was worn down mountains, but Irexes had found that sandstone was stone pressed out of sand, which suggested that grains were the fathers of mountains. Everyone a little crystal, and all of them getting bigger, much bigger. Quietly, without realising it, Brother stopped falling forward and lay still. Bugger off! The Scalby took no notice. This was interesting. It was getting to see whole new stretches of sand it had never seen before, and of course there was the prospect, even the certainty, of a good meal at the end of it all. It had perched on Om's shell. Om stumped along the sand, pausing occasionally to shout at his passenger. Brother had come this way. But here, one of the outcrops of rocks littering the desert like islands in a sea stretched right down to the water's edge. He'd never been able to climb it. The footprints in the sand turned inland towards the deep desert. Idiot! Om struggled up the side of a dune, digging his feet in to stop himself slaloming backwards. On the far side of the dune, the tracks became a long groove where Brother must have fallen. Om retracted his legs and tobogganed down it. The tracks veered here. He must have thought that he could walk around the next dune and find the rock again on the other side. Om knew about deserts, and one of the things he knew was that this kind of logical thinking had been previously applied by a thousand bleached, lost skeletons. Nevertheless, he plodded after the tracks, grateful for the brief shade of the dune now that the sun was sinking. Around the dune, and yes, here they zigzagged awkwardly up a slope about ninety degrees away from where they should be heading. Guaranteed. That was the thing about deserts. They had their own gravity. They sucked you into the centre. Brother crawled forward, Vorbis held unsteadily by one limp arm. He didn't dare stop. His grandmother would hit him again. And there was Master Numrod, too, drifting in and out of vision. I am really disappointed in you, brother. Hmm? Want water? Water, said Numrod. Trust in the great god, hmm? Brother concentrated. Numrod vanished. Great god, he said. Somewhere there was some shade. The desert couldn't go on forever. The sun set fast. For a while, Om knew heat would radiate off the sand and his own shell would store it. But that would soon go, and then there would be the bitterness of a desert night. Stars were already coming on when he found Brother. Vorbis had been dropped a little way away. Om pulled himself level with Brother's ear. Hey! There was no sound and no movement. Om butted Brother gently in the head and then looked at the cracked lips. There was a pecking noise behind him. The Scalby was investigating Brother's toes, but its explorations were interrupted when a tortoise jaw closed around its foot. I told you, Mother, off! The Scalby gave a burp of panic and tried to fly away, but it was hindered by a determined tortoise hanging onto one leg. Om was bounced along the sand for a few feet before he let go. He tried to spit, but tortoise mouths aren't designed for the job. I hate all birds, he said to the evening air. The Scalby watched him reproachfully from the top of a dune. It ruffled its handful of greasy feathers, with the air of one who was prepared to wait all night if necessary, as long as it took. Om crawled back to Brother. Well, there was still breathing going on. Water. The god gave it some thought. Smiting the living rock, that was one way. Getting water to flow, no problem. It was just a matter of molecules and vectors. Water had a natural tendency to flow. You just have to see to it that it flowed here instead of there. No problem at all to a god in the peak of condition. How did you tackle it from a tortoise perspective? The tortoise dragged himself to the bottom of the dune and then walked up and down for a few minutes. Finally, he selected a spot and began digging. This wasn't right. It had been fiery hot. Now he was freezing. Brother opened his eyes. Desert stars, brilliant white, looked back at him. His tongue seemed to fill his mouth. Now, what was it? Water. He rolled over. There had been voices in his head, and now there were voices outside his head. They were faint, but they were definitely there, echoing quietly over the moonlit sands. Brother crawled painfully towards the foot of the dune. There was a mound there. In fact, there were several mounds. 
The muffled voice was coming from one of them. He pulled himself closer. There was a hole in the mound. Somewhere far underground, someone was swearing. The words were unclear as they echoed backwards and forwards up the tunnel, but the general effect was unmistakable. Brother flopped down and watched. After a few minutes, there was a movement at the mouth of the hole, and Om emerged, covered with what, if this wasn't a desert, Brother would have called mud. "'Oh, it's you,' said the tortoise. "'Tear off a bit of your robe and pass it over.' Dreamlike, Brother obeyed. "'Turning round down there,' said Om, "'is no picnic, let me tell you.' He took the rag in his jaws, backed around carefully, and disappeared down the hole. After a couple of minutes he was back, still dragging the rag. It was soaked. Brother let the liquid dribble into his mouth. It tasted of mud and sand and cheap brown dye, and slightly of tortoise, but he would have drunk a gallon of it. He could have swum in a pool of it. He tore off another strip for Om to take down. When Om re-emerged, Brother was kneeling beside Vorbis. Sixteen feet down! Sixteen bloody feet!' shouted Om. "'Don't waste it on him. Isn't he dead yet?' "'He's got a fever. Put him out of our misery. We're still taking him back to Omnia. You think we'll get there? No food, no water. But you found water. Water in the desert.' "'Nothing miraculous about that,' said Om. "'There's a rainy season near the coast. Flash floods. Wadis. Dried up riverbeds. "'You get aquifers,' he added. "'Sounds like a miracle to me,' croaked Brother. "'Just because you can explain it doesn't mean it's not still a miracle.' "'Well, there's no food down there, take it from me,' said Om. "'Nothing to eat, nothing in the sea, if we can find the sea again. "'I know the desert. "'Rocky ridges you have to go round, everything turning you out of your path, "'dunes that move in the night.' Lions, other things, gods. What do you want to do then? said Brother. You said better alive than dead. You want to go back to Ephebe? We'll be popular there, you think? Om was silent. Brother nodded. Fetch more water then. End of CD 6